What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Today, we're joined by my buddy, work colleague, Alexander Hovey, physician assistant, assistant to assistant, the physician. Assistant to the physician. Let's get that right, because I will play that card all day. <laughs> so, Alex, what's up, buddy? Thanks for joining us, finally. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. It's going to be cool. It's finally, be- we'll have somebody that can talk about the diagnostic part of everything. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's the one piece we're always missing. <laughs> We've had a couple of PAs on here. Yeah. Not a while, though, for sure. It's been a minute. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, Alex and I work together at, at Fetter, and um, so he does, uh, you've done a lot of stuff in your short career already. You've done that now primary care, but you are an interventional cardiologist. Yeah, yeah, man. For, so first year, I uh, I actually did ER for 10 months. Okay. Wow. Yeah. In uh, rural Virginia, Shenandoah really? Valley. Yeah. How was that? Crazy hours? Dude, I, I all night shift for me. Really? Yeah, really? I, I like night shift. Yeah, night shift's pretty good. Um, but yeah, did that. Uh, some nurse practitioner, she was on maternity leave. She took a really long maternity leave, like 10 months. Oh, nice. Um, I was hoping to score that job, but she came back. So um, <laughs> so that was it? They kicked you out of it? Kind Nicely. Nicely. Nicely, gotcha. Yeah. I got a heads up. So then I did interventional cardiology for a year then went back into primary care for the last three years. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Would you miss cardiology? Some. Not the lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Not you, inter- you interventional were, cardiology. Is, it's, you were working a ton of hours, yeah, weren't you? Man, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was a lot of call. Um, and when you're on call, you, you, you're always going to get a call. You never not get a call. Um and then, um, yeah, they just, they pack those schedules up, dude. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Like, yeah, eight to, f- eight to five, like 30 to 35 patients. <laughs> when you're not in lab. When That's you're not nuts. in the lab. Yeah. So. That's way too many. Yeah. And then you're starting, when you do cath lab, you're starting at like 6 a.m. And like a short day is like two. Um, and then, lo- but that's rare. And then it's 8 p.m. usually. Jeez. Yeah. How often do you have to go to the lab? I was twice a week. And then on call, so I'd be on call once a month. So, but that was, so it was really, you know, I guess eight cath labs for, plus on an on-call weekend. So probably 12. Mm. Yeah. Probably 12 cath lab days. Brutal. Yeah. Oh. It's cool though. I mean. It, I learned to, a lot. Yeah. I learned a lot. I was going to yeah. say, you get to do a lot of cool yeah. stuff without the uh, 12 years of residency for to be a cardiologist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's convenient. But I, I also learned that uh, it's not my lifestyle either. Yeah. Uh, That'd be no. terrible. Well, that's, you know, imagine if you did do the 12 years of oh. residency and now you're an interventional cardiologist, but now you're stuck, <laughs> you know? Oh, Feel bad for, for those guys. Yeah, it'd be rough. You have yeah. to love it. You have to like, you gotta just, love it. Yeah. just love it. Yeah. But you do have a lot of time to realize what you're going to like and not before for you sure. commit. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, PAs can, you know. That's, 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 that's the beauty of being a PA. Yeah. I can jump around. Yeah. yeah. That's what I always liked about pharmacy too, which I guess it's a little bit, depending on the specialty and stuff, um, like I couldn't right now jump into critical care or something like that because they wouldn't want me to do a residency. But, you know, I do like that you can kind of jump into a little bit different, yeah. you know, areas yeah, pretty sure. easily. Yeah, you're not stuck. Because if I had to do like, di- I mean, I love diabetes education and care and all that stuff, but if I had to do that every single day, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, every for the be rough. Be rough. I'd be like, yeah. okay, yeah, Trulicity. Jardians. Matt Foreman. Okay. So yeah, that would be terrible. Just take your Jardians. Yeah. 
So um, today we're actually going to do a, a patient case. And um, so this is a, a patient that came through, actually was none of our, neither of our patients um, at the clinic, but um, was there to see the dietitian, um, primary care referred to a dietitian. And uh, basically um, during the appointment, the dietitian realized that her blood pressure was sky high. I think it was in the like 180 over 100 and something. And then uh, the second time they tried to check it, it was it going down slightly, but it was still like 170. And some change. So, um, basically, came and asked if uh, they, she could see primary care that day to make sure that they addressed the hypertension while she was in the clinic. Um, and then the primary care nurse practitioner asked me if I would see her and start some kind of you know, medications and, and then hopefully try to get the blood pressure down for her and then follow up with her in a couple of weeks. Um, so that's how I got involved with this this case. But I thought it was kind of interesting because nothing like super complex, I guess, but just a lot of different things that we've talked about in other episodes and I felt like this was a good way of kind of bringing it all. It's definitely a different home. medley than we've gone over before. Yeah. Yeah. For different sure. smorgasbord. You if you say. will. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting med list. Yes. Yeah. So just to give you a, a kind of an idea of, you know, what she's got on her, on her problem list, if you will. Um, the main one would be, um, they, they, Cardiology sent it over as HEF-PEF, um, so preser preserved ejection fraction heart failure. Although when we read like through the actual cardiology note, it was kind of questionable as to like if it's truly that classification. It looked like um, the I guess the the getting the views and the imaging done was kind of difficult. Um, and is how they actually said on the note. Um, they Body did, habitus, uh, guys. What's that? Body habitus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but uh, they said that the left ventricular size was normal, but that the um, that there it was borderline left ventricular hypertrophy, and that there was some hyperdynamic um, left ventricular systolic dysfunction. So um, yeah, so they had it on her list as as being half pef, but her ejection fraction was still in the, it was like in the seventies still. So. Um, We'll treat it as such since that's what they called it and then kind of go from there. But so FPEF um, also has uh, – she's still smoking. She has uh, uncontrolled hypertension obviously, um, has hyperlipidemia, um, and also has had a history of uh, some sort of coronary artery disease. It's kind of – I didn't go super in-depth into see what it was, but it looks like um, it was some type of a MI, but I can't really tell what they did, if it was PCI or cabbage or whatnot after the fact. Um, I probably could have done a lot more research to pull it, but I called it good at that point. So CAD on her history. Um, also has a uh, so history of acid reflux um, and has kind of mild intermittent asthma depending on um, – it seems to be more in line with like seasonal changes. So like right now it's kind of flaring up. But she's also got listed COPD as well. Um which makes sense in being a chronic smoker. So mm -hmm. we got to kind of address that. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of a breakdown, but no diabetes. So the first time we've ever done a patient case where we didn't talk about diabetes. Yeah. And she is overweight too. Yes. Yeah, no diabetes. Which is why she was seeing the, the dietitian for that and right. the, the excessive salt in her diet as well. Um, but uh, yeah. But her kidneys are doing pretty good as far as, you know, that's concerned. Her, her labs actually look yeah. okay overall. Potassium's mm -hmm. yeah. good. You guys said cholesterol is normal, right? Cholesterol was uh, normal. The LDL was actually 95. Um, okay. So uh, normal depending. So, so right. Yeah. So it depends so, on what our goals are. Right. Yeah. So we'll definitely talk about that because that's 
it's not even listed as being like some like it doesn't have like a little you know in red exclamation mark next to the lab to kind of catch your attention because they're considering it to be normal and at, at goal but we'll talk about that because that might not be our goal um okay so medication wise uh she is taking simbacort um and it's the directions are two puffs uh every six hours as needed so that kind of going in line with the um, newer like gina guidelines for using simbacort as needed to, it's kind of like the the maintenance inhaler um, rescue inhaler and the controller at the same time um she had provental on her profile as well but she told me she's not taking that and had, hasn't since she started simbacort so that was good um she had metoprolol tartrate and succinate on her profile we found out she is in fact on um, succinate taking 100 milligrams a day she's taking a torvastatin 40 milligrams she's on lisinopril 40 milligrams chlorothaladone 25 milligrams um and also on bimetanide um, 0.5 milligrams as needed and then she's taking uh, omiprazole 40 milligrams daily and famotidine at bedtime daily and, and then a baby aspirin as well, low-dose baby aspirin, 81 milligrams. Um, but anything else on her profile was, had been discontinued, and so she had, had other things that she had tried, but they were they were stopped. So med list-wise, what, what do you want to start with, y'all? Mm. Well, if she's um, – how would she – I guess we'll start with her hypertension because that was the most acute issue, right? Mm-hmm. So you said she's on metoprolol, 100 milligrams. Uh, metoprolol sucks in 800 milligrams. 100 milligrams, Less, she has to PEF. Yeah. So with HEF-PEF, we don't necessarily have the mortality hospitalization data that we have with HEF-REF, right? Um, even still, if if I'm going to use something, then metoprolsexinate and HEF-PEF would probably be reasonable, especially if there's, you know, concern that she might degrade to HEF-REF at some point. Plus, she's post-MI. Um, did, did you leave it at 100 milligrams or did you change anything around with that? So I left that one alone as is now because so I've seen her now I've seen her twice but there was things that needed to be addressed and changed as we went along so I've been doing bits and pieces of it because I'm technically not even she's not even somebody that's supposed to be seeing me and uh so I just made a couple changes and then made notes for her to change at her next appointment when she sees her primary care but um I left that one alone as of now yeah, from a clinical standpoint, I'd also ask, how are you taking these medications? What time of day you're taking them? Are you taking them every day? And, uh, and that's a good point because she wasn't. And yeah. that's the thing is she so because of her history of acid reflux um, and just be having like a sensitive stomach, as she puts it, um, she would often skip breakfast. And so when she would, she would take all of her medications in the morning. And so when she would take when she would skip breakfast, which was frequent, you know, that she would do that, she basically would uh, not take any of her blood pressure medicines in the morning. And then it's not like she would catch up later in the evening. She would just wait till the next day. So Save she, them up. Yeah. You know, whatever. Just in case she just runs out. She run out. <laughs> but she was missing like three or four days a week of her mm. blood pressure medicine. So no wonder her blood you know, pressure was sky high. But um you know, the lisinopril 40, just like Cole was saying, lisinopril 40, that's uh, the max dose of the lisinopril. And, you know, because we kind of just follow along the same, you know, idea of HEF-REF sort of treatment algorithm, even though we don't have the same outcome data that we do in HEF, uh, with HEF-REF as we do with hef or we don't have it in HEF-PEF like we do in HEF-REF, um, we still kind of follow that same pathway and she's had a history of cad and so it kind of makes sense obviously yeah. if it was just hef pef i could take or leave the toprol but yeah. since she's post to my then i say leave yeah her. she's she's got to be on something yeah 
Um, the next thing is uh, the beta blocker itself. So I, let's, I do want to talk about that because I know Cole and I have talked about the three evidence-based beta blockers in HEF-REF, which would be carvedilol, metoprolol, succinate, and bisoprolol. Now, again, this doesn't quite apply to her because she's considered HEF-PEF and all that, um, but they have looked at a study to see if patients who have um, heart failure and COPD, um, and in that study, I believe they used only reduced ejection fraction heart failure. But what it, they... I actually, yeah, I actually saw this study and it was, yeah. Reduced? It was reduced, yeah. And so basically what they found is that you're not going to cause any uh, COPD exacerbations with carvedilol and metoprolol succinate, but it actually seems to be a, a decreased risk compared to the other two when you use bisoprolol, um, and which which does make sense because bisoprolol and despite bisoprolol and metoprolol tar, or succinate being selective, the bisoprolol is like the more selective. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 14 yeah. times more selective compared to like metoprolol being four four times. Yeah. So it's got a quite a bit more selectivity. And so um, basically you're allowing the the beta agonist that the patient's using in their inhaler to work better to kind of open up their their lungs and all that stuff. Um, so it's the most selective beta blocker. So that would be the one thing I would change, this, which is one of the reasons why I didn't switch to metoprolol and bump the dose mm-hmm. up um, towards the 200 milligrams uh, because I was going to talk to her primary care and, and potentially cardiology about switching her to bisoprolol anyway. And, and we just presume that it's, I know you mentioned COPD versus mild intermittent asthma, but probably leaning towards COPD because of the smoking. So that's without, a, without yeah, a clear it, diagnosis. And so that's the hard part because right now she's saying that she's basically only on Sumacort and she's saying that it hasn't caused her any issues with, you know, breathing and whatnot be, um, until the pollen and stuff started happening, which sounds more like on the asthma, asthma side, side of things. Mm-hmm. And so because the Simbacord seems to be helping somewhat, which we'll talk about how she was using it in just a second, <laughs> but um, it's because it seems to be helping, I would say that it's actually more, if, if it is true, you know, overlap, you know, condition of asthma and COPD together, then I would say it's probably actually more leaning towards asthma at this point anyway. So I think it would be very like, like a gold guideline, uh, gold, like grade A or B at the most mm-hmm. with her COPD, mm-hmm. which... You know, at that point, you can use either a LABA or even if it's an A, you can just use as needed, you know, albuterol. So I think for her, it's it does make sense that she's on the Simbacor and it's working and, and whatnot. But I, I think it's hard to kind of, you know, go, she's not if great. If she keeps smoking, she's, she's headed yeah, that way. She'll, she'll get, yeah, so Soprol will change it just beforehand, <laughs> before we get there. That way we're all ready to go by the time she, uh, Preventative. Gets, she gets that ejection fraction low right. enough. <laughs> right. Preventative, man. Yeah, so how was she using that Simbacort? What was she doing? Um, let's, let's, I'm going to finish, let's finish the heft heft up. Oh, yeah, Because yeah. I'll, get, I'll get distracted and go off, you know how we are. Mm, I know how we are. And we'll, we'll have to hear about it in the comments. <laughs> the, uh, so. Do you guys read the comments? Oh, yeah. I think they're hilarious. Some of them are really probably, nice. Probably I, the best. I some tend to not, are, I tend to not, but. Um, some most, of them are nice. Most of them are nice. Yeah. We get one of three. It's just, now we're off topic again. This is what happens. <laughs> see, see, I'm perfect for this. Because exactly, I get off topic all the time. This is exactly how it happens. We get either the really nice comments, okay. and those, a lot of those come as emails and stuff too, not it's just boring, like. But, you know, and then the some that are like they're trying their hardest to be mean, which sometimes are pretty clever and those are funny. <laughs> um, or we get like random advertisements for where you can tell someone just copy and pasted mm-hmm. this thing where they oh, just yeah. troll our comments because they're trying to basically say uh, 
for instance, like, oh, I thought my life of having general herpes was over. <laughs> and then I met Dr. Such and Such who cured it with this herbal remedy. And now my herpes is gone. <laughs> or grow so, your wiener yeah, a few more inches. Yeah, yeah, it's just all kinds of just crazy, like weird, like uh, absurd type of things. And so, uh, and I've got, we've gotten the herpes one, the herpes cure um, that's apparently out there now, uh, multiple times in multiple comments. I don't, I don't know, will you stop <laughs> copy and pasting these things in our stinking comment section? <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah and it's different people i mean i don't know who this guy is but he's got a whole bunch of bots just like <laughs> advertising for same him. dude it's no it's if they oh. say it's the same guy curing it but the people who post oh, are different oh, okay. so i don't know if it's i don't know how to get part of this pyramid scheme but yeah hit us up <laughs> at least give us some money for this fix, okay. but F-Pef. yeah so have path um so when i was seeing her again for hypertension once i heard about the the fact that she's got this history of FPAF and all this stuff, it made a little bit more sense because I was wondering why she was on just less interpril and just a beta blocker. Um, and then I heard saw the rest of her stuff. So my thought process and when I started her on something was, you know, I could go um, amlodipine, which she had been mm-hmm. on before. I didn't really mention that. Um, she had been on amlodipine before and it was unclear why she stopped it. I think probably, I think cardiology probably stopped it because of the, progr- you know, thought of heart failure progressing. Um, and she's already on chlorthaldone, so she's on an evidence-based thiazide. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if she was on lisinopril, chlorthaldone, and amlodipine anyway, my next thing would be spironolactone if she could tolerate it. And even though half-pef, we don't have definitive data with spironolactone, there was a study called TopCat that we talked about um, before that was actually moving towards um, signif- like being statistically superior to placebo when you add spironolactone in half-pef patients but it didn't quite meet meet that criteria for significance, but it was moving towards there. And then there was actually kind of like a follow-up where they were looking at some of the data from TopCat. And I believe it was Russia and a couple other smaller countries that were involved in the study. They said that when they were looking at the active metabolite, uh, spironolactone's active metabolite in the patient's blood, it was non-existent in r- the Russian patients that were enrolled in the study and like, a, c- a couple other countries. And so the thought was that maybe they weren't actually taking it the way the study was supposed to be, you know, it was intended. Hmm. And so that could have completely thrown off the results of the whole study. And they, they also said that like anytime they've looked at like any of the additional like secondary analyses and things like that, it tends to be women that seem to have the most benefit from spironolactone and half anyway. So I figured that's probably the route to go yeah. because that's the closest thing we have to, to data with yeah, you could, an additional. You consider weak data relative to some of the really strong HEFREF trials we have, but it's yeah. strong data compared to all the other weak data we have for half So yeah, reasonable. So I went spironolactone and I explained it to her. That, I think it's reasonable. You know, that that's where, well, you know, I kind of explained to her that if it does progress, the spironolactone is going to help protect her heart and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, told her that the, I use, I like to use the word data even with patients. I said the, the scientific data shows that, it's, you know, it really can help and be beneficial and keep you alive longer. So she's like, oh, okay, I'll do that one. And so, we need data. So we need data. We always need data. So Best she was. about science. She was on, <laughs> she was on board with it. Um, not using the Bumex all that often, but. I did explain to her that that's just to help get some of that fluid off of her, not to help with the blood pressure or anything like that. So hopefully um, her blood pressure is going to start to come down a little bit now. Yeah, seems like adherence is probably the biggest thing to hit. Plus yeah. those additions I think should be good to go. Yeah. They talked about sodium intake. 
with the dietitian. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Angela talked to her about a, that. That would be the big thing too. Yeah. And just I think overall calorie counts and stuff like yeah. that because she is trying to lose some weight. Okay. So um what next? You wanted to do uh the asthma COPD? Sure. Yeah. So she's got the she's got the Simbacort using as needed. Yeah. But how is she using it? So the directions were one to two <laughs> puffs every six hours. However, I asked her about it. She said, I usually use four puffs at a time. And I'm like, hmm, four puffs seems excessive. <laughs> um, so, you know, how are you know, like how when you actually use the inhaler and I had her kind of show me and what she was doing is basically taking one very long, deep breath and then rapid firing the canister as fast as she could four puffs or so into her mouth and then trying to was inhale. It, was it closed mouth? It was. Okay. But she was so just, I mean, she, so she's getting some of it, but definitely probably not a full four I'm just interested worth. to know where she got the idea to do that from. Maybe, you know, I'm surely somebody didn't show her to press it four times or maybe she just wanted to get the, uh, you know, she could feel it in her mouth or something and she felt like that was, or maybe she, she just got good benefit when she used so a whole bunch of puffs. She basically was saying that, that she didn't notice the benefit with like one puff and then so she just went ahead and escalated that forward mm. two, three, four. Self-titration. Self-titration. It's, yeah, you know, it's not ideal. <laughs> but Not reading directions. <laughs> also not reading the directions whatsoever. But, um, no, I mean, in her defense, maybe no one ever showed her how to yeah. do it. So, you know, sure. there's that. Um, but I, so I talked to her about, you know, how to properly use it and basically told her that she needs to do one puff, let it sit for, you know, a couple minutes because mm-hmm. really the onset of action of famoterol, which is the LABA that's in Simbacort, is, uh, is going to take about three minutes yeah, to kind like of four minutes or yeah, start, yeah. start working. So I told her to wait a couple minutes and then if she needs to do a second puff, then take that second puff at that point. Hold, and also told her about holding the breath after she mm-hmm. takes the dose to let it get into the lungs. And um, then, you know, after they've kind of, dilate a little bit then do the second puff after a couple of minutes so you get it's even deeper with that second puff and that's what that should be all that she needs um and basically just talked to her through using it so she was only using this as needed she wasn't using any maintenance dosing well she was using it as needed but she was using it multiple times a day right because she was every day it yeah and she wasn't getting the dose to begin with correct right and so that's the biggest issue um but yeah she was using it multiple times just kind of following the new guidelines yeah i mean if you if you added up all the puffs that she's supposed to take you Mm -hmm. know if it's two puffs twice a day or whatever and then maybe some as needed it was probably the accurate amount of puffs just maybe not quite at the right time yeah so timing was off right it was slightly off timing's everything though right (laughs) but that's um you know as far as you know, because she has asthma and COPD, allegedly, um, you know, with her having those mixed conditions, overlapping conditions, the next question I was bringing up to my students is, okay, well, what are we going to do next if this isn't going to work for her? So, you know. It seems like a, you'd have to add on a llama, right? Yeah, a llama, yeah. Exactly. It's and that's, really, yeah. and, and I... I explained to my, I was talking to my students about it. And I was like, basically, you know, if the llama is going to be one of the first, um, line in, you know, or first line inhalers that we use, especially as the kind of COPD progresses. So if you hit like that gold um, grade of C, you know, that's where they've done specific studies looking at a, um, llama versus a LABA. So I think it was the, what, POEM trial mm-hmm. that was, um, teotropium versus salmeterol and teotropium was better only in patients who had had a little bit more um, severe symptoms um, symptoms and so 
my thought process would be if if she was starting to have some of the obstructive piece of the you know COPD part, then okay, let's add on teotropium because that's the one that's also approved and has data in asthma. So that would be my thought process would be to add that you know teotropium to it if we needed to. If needed, yeah. Which is kind of what the uh, gold guidelines talk about. And then when they talk about the overlap, they say basically if it's um, asthma and you need to control it, then ICS LABA. But if it's kind of in between um, ICS LABA plus or minus a LAMA, mm. yeah. and then you get more towards the LAMA LABA side if you have more COPD type symptoms. Okay. Yeah, I think clinically right now, I would, if since it's just seems to be more seasonal, it would it would just be keeping her on the, the LABA. Yeah. And, and she's on the ICS too. So even though, um, you know, if it is asthma and it is seasonal and she's getting flare ups, you're going to reduce that inflammation and mm-hmm. kind of get, get her, uh, lungs opened up and hopefully take care of that, that issue. Yeah. Nice. Um, let's see. Now the, the big thing would be like if her COPD continually progresses, right? you know, if, which it will, which, yeah, yeah, she's smoking. So that would be like, you know, okay, well then we have to start looking at adding on maybe even like things like Delaresp and stuff, the worse it got, cause you're already on triple therapy. Mm-hmm. So that would get much more murky. <laughs> I think if she used, if she was adherent appropriately and then add on the llama, I mean, I think she'd see good benefit for a while versus where she's at right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about, uh, dyslipidemia? Yeah. So what's she on? She's on, um, level 40, a, a tour of 40, yep. tour of 40. So as far as her goal, so less than a hundred is a reasonable goal for most people post MI. So we're looking at secondary prevention for ASCVD. If you're looking at the AHA calc, uh, uh, algorithm. So for her, she'd probably be at least less than 70 is what we'd be looking at. Um, so it would not be unreasonable to increase her from a Torva 40 to a Torva 80. It wouldn't have even been unreasonable to have started her on a Torva 80. Yeah. I, that's what I would have done. I would right. have just maxed her out. Max it out, yeah. TNT trial, secondary prevention, and um, go from, you know have gone from there. But she probably would be under 70 with that either way. And that's the thing that I... It always, I always, I like that you brought up TNT because that's the thing that I think everybody's worried about with statins is, is going too quickly. And like, they want to titrate up the statin, but every single study that has, that uses the torvastatin that basically shows the mortality benefit and things like that, it's all a torva 80. Like every one of them post stroke with sparkle was a torva 80. Um, I mean, there's, you know, all the, the TNT and any of those other studies that have looked at, uh, things, you know, CAD, um, those are all a torva 80. In fact, there's only one study that ever has shown mortality benefit with a torva 40. I think it was the ideal trial, if I remember correctly. And patients were only put on 40 milligrams if they, started at 80 and they were having myalgias, myopathies, then they dropped the dose in half and then kept them on 40. Mm-hmm. So the way I always tell, like when I tell uh, my students and when I always say, basically my thought process is one, the data shows 80 is good. And with TNT trial, there was no difference in um, adverse effects, right. things like that. So the way I think about it is, okay, if, if I do start them at the highest dose, psychologically, if they start having cramps, because that is one of the biggest um, nocebo effects as mm-hmm. with statins as cramps and whatnot so my thought process is okay it's a lot easier to tell a patient you know again this is my opinion um i haven't done head-to-head data on this <laughs> but um it's a lot easier to tell a patient okay if you're having issues you know let's cut your dose completely in half versus hey you're doing good on this you're you know your your ldl is below 100 which you know on paper looks good 
Um, so now we're going to double your dose. And even though you're stable, you're not having issues. Now, that can be a little bit for patients who don't want to take a lot of medicines. That can mm-hmm. be kind of, you know. Ugh. Right. And then, you know, worst case scenario, she's having, a, you know, side effects from it and things. You can cut the dose in half or switch to resuvastatin. And in that case, you're switching to 40 milligrams, you know, being equal to 80. Mm-hmm. And that's the same dose anyway, but you're using a hydrophilic statin. So you should get right. less, less volume of distribution, yeah. less... Uh, tissue penetration and ultimately this myalgia myopathies right so the difficulty as far as convincing them just would only probably come with if they asked if this was a high dose or not people yeah. never like to hear that it's a high yeah. dose or highest dose when you're starting but you can back it up with the fact that you're post mi we want to decrease your ldl by this much it's gonna be best we can always step down if you have issues or something like that yeah, yeah. And, you know, as far as looking at, the, like, the newer, like, ACE guidelines that came out in 2020, um, I think it was 2020. I don't think it was 2021 yet when those came out. I have to look. Anyways, the newest ACE guidelines, they um, they have that other, like, extreme risk group. I don't think she would meet the criteria Yeah, that was in 2021. Um, okay, so 2020. Um, would be, Yeah, that's true because I, I talked about it in October mm-hmm. in a conference, so it definitely is 2020. <laughs> um, and so uh, she, would have, she wouldn't meet the criteria for, like, extreme risk, which would be their goal of less than 55. Yeah. So that she wouldn't even be there. But um, I think that that would be important to kind of, like, note from a provider standpoint because when you're looking at the labs, everything looks awesome on her lipid panel um if you're just going looking for things that are like out of the um, range um but really we use less than 100 if her if her starting diagnosis is hypercholesterolemia so like Mm -hmm. her ldl is above um, 190 then we would think less than 100 as far as a goal but that's in primary prevention Mm -hmm. once you've had an event you've had clinical ascvd um whether it's an mi or some sort of um uh, a- 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 AS, or ACS event or um, peripheral uh, arterial disease, mm-hmm. anything like that, you're you're automatically going to be dropped to a goal of less than seventy. Right. So she's she's close already. So going up to eighty, she'd probably be yeah plenty there. And if we always if we needed to, we could always add a zetamide yeah. onto that mm-hmm. if we needed to. Um, what else we got? How was her GERD? Oh, good mm-hmm. question. <laughs> So her GERD uh, symptoms are not controlled. So she is definitely taking the famotidine every single night um, because the omeprazole is just not cutting it. And uh, so I asked her how she was taking that one. This turned into a much longer appointment than let's fix our blood pressure. <laughs> um, but I, I asked her how she was taking it, and um, she's basically taking it in the morning on an empty stomach. And then most mornings, like we said, she's skipping breakfast and then not eating until lunchtime, which is obviously – a big no-no with um, a PPI. Um, we've talked about this several times on the podcast, but with a PPI, the half-life of the proton pump inhibitors are is about one to two hours at the most. And so we always think of them as being like 24-hour agents, but that's assuming that they actually get to where they need to go. Um, and so that when you take a PPI, um, you have, it has to get, you know, absorbed and into your system so that when those proton pumps, those ATPase, um, pumps on the parietal cell kind of turn to their, their active configuration, that's when the PPI already has to be in your system so that it can bind to the, the ATPase pump at that point and turn it, um, off permanently. So the reason why it's 24 hours is because it's basically shutting down that pump and your body has to regenerate new proton pumps in order to actually, you know, to do their physiological effects still. And so it's 24 hours if it gets to where it needs to go in the first place. If not, in her case, she's 
those those pumps are never activating because she's not eating. And so she's taking it in the morning and then it's just gone out of her system or at least almost completely gone out of her system by the time uh, she gets to her her um, lunchtime. Right. Which is why she had the famotidine on her profile because right. she was having to use that as needed because she wasn't getting benefit from the omeprazole. Yep. So talk to her about that um, and talk, talk to her about taking it 30 minutes to an hour before her full meal. Um, and that's the other thing is if she takes it right with her meal, then there is some a, a worry that the acid that starts being pumped from your stomach immediately disrupts it, the medication in her stomach before it actually gets to the small intestine to be absorbed. So you really have to time it kind of perfect with those because you want it to be through the stomach so that you can absorb it. And then as those pumps turn on to start producing those, those protons, that acid, um, then it's ready to shut it off. And if you have a patient who really struggles with that and cost isn't an issue, you can use Dexalant mm-hmm. and it's regardless of food. That's that's yeah. the one that I always recommend for people who are constantly struggling yeah. with timing. Yeah, I like that one, yeah. We have we're spoiled with that one because yeah, it's like what nine dollars yeah, at our front, so it's man. super cheap with our three forty B pricing. So I actually have started a few people on yeah. decks a lot with that because I mean I know I, there's no way I would be able to time yeah. my food with a proton. Well, once I found yeah. it was that cheap, I've I've started a lot of people on that one as well. Yeah, it's yeah that's definitely a good. But except it's like nine hundred something dollars yeah. if you get it nuts. outside of yeah. there. It's that's and if you so you'd have to get it covered, and to get it covered, you have to try and fail like at least three. And then it's still probably is going to be difficult to get covered. Yeah. So um, as far as her disease states, at like you know a glance, that seems to be pretty much. I think that's everything, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the big stuff. She's on aspirin yeah. for secondary prevention, which makes sense because she's had an event mm-hmm. and risk factors. Yeah, that's about the only time we really would. Pre- yeah. Aspirin for primary prevention is kind of mm-hmm. kind of out. Yeah, um, it's not in vogue. She's um, she had Chantix on her profile as well, the starting pack. So I guess we mentioned that real quick. She she didn't like the dreams that it was making her have, so she mm. stopped taking it. Did she specify what kind of dreams? She didn't. I didn't go into oh. detail with her. She said they were just very vivid and freaky, and she's like, I can't believe that's on the market. If you have time, like, sometimes it's good to yeah. You get it's, a good fun, story. it's fun. It's fun to get the story. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always fascinated by that though, because she's like, I can't believe this is on the market because of the dreams, and I'm like, you know what's never caused a heart attack? A bad dream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what yeah. does cause a heart attack? Smoking. Yeah. I don't I know. Mean, those, you know, I, if it's a night terror, those things can be pretty. You know, just like when you have like uh, sleep paralysis and yeah. you envision a demon on I your think chest. She the she old hag. Meant, I think, yeah. yeah. I think she would have mentioned that. Though. I feel like yeah. If she was, that seems like pretty significant. It's um, intense. You know those people who try lucid dreaming? You've yeah. heard like lucid oh, yeah. dreaming stuff. I'm I'm surprised Chantix never comes up because if you're going to have like really crazy vivid dreams and you want to attempt lucid dream, like, you know, what if you try lucid dreaming, you use the thing with the lights and you don't even like dream, you know? Hmm. I, th- I don't know the thing with the lights. Uh, there's yeah. the, there's multiple ways to do it, but some people, there's some device that some people will use that like strobes lights on your eyes, like as you're falling asleep and apparently the strobing effect helps you become lucid when you're dreaming because hmm. what's the benefit of this uh you can apparently control your dreams so you can huh. do That's like all kinds idea. of crazy huh. stuff yeah we need data yeah yeah I mean, what kind of light trust me i'm sure it does not have good data my my thing <laughs> heard with, this on a podcast my thing with <laughs> and you my, can't trust anything you hear on podcasts that's true unless it's ours then believe every <laughs> single word of it um the uh the strobe lights i feel like maybe it's not lucid dreaming as much as it is inducing a seizure i was about to <laughs> no, say that i was like i mean if yes. you don't get a lucid dream you might get you, a seizure you're so. gonna have some serious neuronal activity no matter what so yeah. maybe you'll get that and that'll be a new thing to tell your friends <laughs> 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's crazy. I feel like I would not be able to fall asleep with a bright light yeah. flashing in my face. Yeah, something about the lights makes you realize that you're. It makes you realize that I don't know. It gives you lucidity while you're dreaming. That's what they hmm. say. Hmm. It's just like this little thing that you wear in your head. Have you tried this? Negative. Hmm. We should try it. We'll do this podcast. We'll just film ourselves trying to go to sleep, <laughs> just freaking out because we can't sleep all night. Riveting. This <laughs> is, yeah, this is terrible. Podcasters attempt lucid dreaming, ending yeah. up having seizures and calling nine one one on each other. <laughs> <laughs> on each other. So yeah, um, the, she's she's refusing to take Chantix again. So my thought would be obviously nicotine replacement would be a better option if she's willing to quit. Mm-hmm. The other thing you could. Um, consider in her, especially since the weight loss is such a mm-hmm. huge issue, would be bupropion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, bupropion's kind of fallen a little out of favor with the uh, you know its effectiveness in smoking cessation, but you can still use it, and it's something that um, I would say, based on the weight loss benefits of it, that might be where. Yeah, I think benefit. they like it if you're killing two birds. So if, yeah. You're, yeah. if you're augmenting depression, and you also can help with smoking cessation. Or if you're augmenting it's worth weight a try. loss, I mean, yeah. You know. Have you used that in your patients? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You program? Yeah, um, I haven't had awesome success with it, but some pe- some people, ha- you know, they like it. They like they see that weight loss, and mm-hmm. um, I also think there's a little bit of placebo. Some 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 of it helps with. They they think it helps them to stop smoking, and yeah. you know. Well, some people have, I've talked to some people that have started it for smoking cessation and it says that it basically changes the taste of the cigarette. So you basically, mm-hmm. your mouth, I have heard that. Your yeah. Mouth I've, had like a few tray, yeah they I've had a few people say that. Yeah. And there's got to be some sort of a yeah. know, mechanism for that, but I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, part of it is that it, I mean, it prevents the mm, dopamine high that you can get from like so dopamine. You're just yeah. sensing. So you're like, hmm, you know, this stuff doesn't taste all that great. Yeah. And know? I'm not feeling good afterwards. Like, um, like, like ice cream. Ice cream on an empty stomach tastes amazing. Ice cream on a full stomach tastes good, but maybe not as amazing. It's a good you point. Know? Yeah, so it's, it's like point. it fills your, your, you know, the stomach yeah. in your brain with dopamine. Yeah. You have a stomach. I've, I've also had a few people who didn't realize they might have had a little bit of depression. Yeah. 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 You yeah. start them on it and they're like, hey, I, feel I actually better. feel better now. Yeah. I mean, it's going to give them energy to make them feel good, yeah. even, if, even if they're not necessarily clinically depressed. Yeah. yeah. And technically speaking, the, the weight loss piece of that you get from bupropion, it does curve the appetite, but there is sort of like a negative feedback loop to where if you are getting that um, decreased appetite because it works in the hypothalamus and all that good stuff um, basically your body tries to override that process because it knows that you're not supposed to be inhibiting your your weight and so one way to kind of combat that is when they combine it with naltrexone yeah and that shuts off that negative feedback so that's where contrave the Mm -hmm. fda approved uh, contrave comes from because you're getting the bupropion and um, naltrexone together so that's kind of an interesting piece but um yeah so that would be one option for her for sure um have you guys seen the weight loss data with uh semaglutide the for patients with like when they use the high dose like the 2.4 milligrams um i've heard some of it that it was pretty significant right yeah yeah, it's a, yeah. a ton was, a huge percent I, I don't have it in front of me it's not, like it's gonna it, take sex into this place yeah yeah this, easily yeah. i, I yeah. want to say it, it was something like it's like I remember seven, you were telling me about 17 percent. Yeah. I haven't looked at it since we talked about that yeah. first time. It's like seventeen percent of their original body weight or something like that. It came yeah, off. It was huge. Yeah. I remember that. Like way better than any of the yeah. other ones that I've seen. It's pretty solid. So, that's pretty. The, I wonder what the GI upset is. Hmm. I'd mm. say strong to quite yeah. strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More than ten percent. I don't. I don't want to eat anymore at all. <laughs> that's why. That's, I, why, I, that's why they're so losing all weight. the weight. Maybe extremely nauseous. 
but yeah, so that would be something to consider with her would be bupropion to see if maybe that can, which you, people can have bad dreams with that yeah. too. So yeah. it kind of just depends. Um, you can have bad dreams without any of this stuff. That's true. You can have yeah, bad dreams from so. just having to be on this many yeah. medications. It's I, like you I said, bad dreams don't cause a heart attack. So <laughs> yeah, but you can have bad dreams for having to spend an hour and a half with Mike in a room. Oh my gosh. And let me, in talking to me, just blabbing on about data. <laughs> the lady's like, what is he talking about? <laughs> but yeah, I think, um. That's pretty much kind of what we had talked about with her. Now, obviously, I didn't make all those changes. We're just talking about an ideal situation where over time we would correct these things. But, yeah. Yeah, all that at one Good. time would be a probably lot. too much for, for 98% of people. Yeah. yeah. So her big thing was coming off of some medication as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And so my thought was the famotidine, we could mm-hmm. get rid of that. Mm-hmm. We could probably get rid of the clothalidone if mm-hmm. her blood pressure is mm-hmm. more controlled. Yeah. Um you, you know, if uh, the omiprazole is taken correctly mm-hmm. and she's actually gets some relief from the good, then we could try tapering off that and see if she even needs it after a while, after she kind of heals the, you know, her, her GI tract from the stress that's probably been under. Plus, she was taking like naproxen and stuff yeah. before. So. Yeah, you, and you would you could also talk about avoiding, you know, food diaries to find trigger foods and things like that and avoiding mm-hmm. those foods. Yeah, Absolutely. with that plus weight loss, you might not need, you know, she could probably come off with the omeprazole at some point too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, then there's, Stop you smoking. Know, yeah. Smoking. You get off some uh, more medicines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely, uh, so there's definitely some room to kind of go down, you know, the, that list with her, but that's kind of the hope that I gave her. But I was like, cause I know I'm adding more today. <laughs> However, you know, this is just to get you in the right path to getting rid of that stuff. Yeah. So, dude, going back to the new asthma guidelines, I've had some pushback from patients not wanting to get off their albuterol inhalers and just going straight to Simicort. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, especially yeah. if they've been using it for years, they know yeah. it works. I'm sure it makes them nervous. Yeah, it's an anxiety-producing yeah. situation. Yeah, I will say the the I've had a few patients that I've run into that were kind of nervous. But now, granted, I have a lot more time with my patients to talk to them than like Alex does yeah. because his patient load is absurd compared to mine. I have, I'm expected to stay in the room with the patient for an hour if I need to. He's not. Yeah, I don't, sometimes <laughs> I don't have time to fight with him. About his, his nurse will be knocking on the door within 15 minutes of uh, him being in that room. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I've, I, when I explain like that the steroid is helping with the inflammation, which, you know, then that the other medication that's in there is doing the same thing as the albuterol. I feel like just that little piece kind of gives people a little bit more yeah. like peace of mind about it. Cause it shows that you're like, it's not just, Oh, I'm just following what big pharma said. I'm yeah. actually it makes sense physiologically. Um, so I've, have you had people that the people you have switched over to, have you had some success with that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you know, because a lot of those people, they're already on both. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have taken the approach: hey, less medication. If mm-hmm. you just go to this, um, you know. But some people, you know, when they've had those bad asthma exacerbations, they're like, no, I, I'm not. I don't want to get off the, the albuterol. But yeah, I have had success with the, uh, the you know, just just um, the Simicor by itself. Yeah, and, and I think at this point, I feel like most people have heard about that. But I remember when we first started, kind mm-hmm. of mentioned that yeah. I said it to a nurse practitioner student, and she looked at me like, "Oh, you poor thing, you're so dumb." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was that was pretty funny. But we had uh, one of our nurse practitioners at Fetter that started doing it like right away, like in 2019. Like when I first brought it up, um, she started like right away switching her patients over, and she's like the only provider out there that you know, so her parents trust her, with, you know, implicitly. Um, and so she started doing the switch, and they, she was getting really good results with it, like right away. Nice. So I was like, all right, cool. It's not just me yeah. making stuff up. <laughs> 
You I hope not, because I do a lot of the stuff you tell me to. No, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely don't make it up. You can blame Gina, whoever that is. Yeah, the Gina guidelines told me. But um, yeah, anything else with this patient that we didn't talk about? I think we talked about everything. There's everything, nothing left. Everything. Yeah. Make sure she gets a COVID vaccine. Did, yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Didn't miss a thing. All right. Um, so, Alex, man, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, guys. Yeah, man. It was fun. We'll have to do this more often, yeah. more especially when we have some more diagnostic stuff to get into. Yeah. We'll need you around for that just since it's not our training. Yeah. yeah. We just make it up as we go at that point. <laughs> Hopefully, Medscape has a good article we can read about yeah. it. <laughs> See what they did, right? Yeah. yeah. Just copy yeah. that. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that, and if, make sure you send us a message over any of the social media platforms or um, our emails will be in the show notes. Um, if you you know want to reach out to us about a certain topic or anything, we're always, um, you know, like to hear ideas and, you know, if you want to be a guest on the show, if you're a specialist in some area or you have some stuff you want to share, um, definitely let us know that too. We'll be happy to have you on in most cases. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you want to send a text directly, um, you can do that as well. Just text 415-943-6116 um, and you'll get like an automated response first and then I'll get back to you as quick as I can after that. Um, if you like the podcast, make sure you you know rate it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to. Um, leave a comment if you can. That helps us as well as far as like where we show up in the search results. And then thank you guys so much for all of you who have uh, joined the Patreon um, account. I hope you guys are liking the lectures on there where we try not to go off on tangents and things like that. Um, a little bit more professional. A little more organized, I yes, guess. Yes, right? definitely. I need to check it out. But um, thank you guys so much for that. That helps out a lot. I'm like blown away at how many people have subscribed to that. That's been awesome. Um, so if you have any ideas or suggestions for that, please let me know. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Have a good one.